are continuing a series called Secret uh, Christians. The theme verse, uh, this is our second week. So the theme verse is from Matthew 5.14, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I love the message paraphrase. I put this up there as well. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, talking about us. Bringing out the God colors in all the world, God is not a secret to be kept. And the, and the, 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 the sort of the impetus of this series, the thing that kind of birthed it in me was last year, I was sitting at a conference and I was listening to, I, I wrote down a statistic that I didn't really understand. I had to go back and study it. And it was a 2019, fairly new study done by Pew Research. And I wanna, I'm going to write you, I'm going to share with you the phrase I wrote down. It's not even good English, but it's how I wrote it. All right, that kind of spurred me in this direction. And here's what I wrote down. Americans, right now, have increasingly become less likely to know even one evangelical Christian. The study goes on to say that uh, they might know a Buddhist, they might know an atheist, they might know a spiritualist, they might know somebody that was Catholic at one time or raised Catholic. They might know someone who's, who's not any of it, you know, noncommittal, so to speak. But they, it's getting increasing, it's kind of increasing this idea that, that, that people in the marketplace, average Americans, can't even name one evangelical Christian. Now, that just blows my mind. It's the reason I had to go back and study it, because I was like, how is that possible? You are who you are. You are in the workplace. You are in uh, social clubs. You are in, your kids are in soccer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you and I are in this world. We are here I know from a, a standard of, in terms of percentage of the Christians, we exist in this world. How is it that nobody knows and can even name one? And I gave you a few last week, a few reasons that some of this is happening in our culture. Part of it's the closed Christian subculture where you've sort of all your friends are Christians and you've kind of closed off that network and you really don't have anyone in your life that's not a believer. And even if you do, sometimes it's an us versus them mentality, which means you really do view them as the enemy, as evil, as a bad influence. And so that's one of the re- The only way you engage them is engaging them in that way with kind of animus. A fear of rejection or persecution, right? Fear of rejection or persecution is this idea that, you know, you don't want to be a part of the cancel culture. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to, you don't want to have that be a conflict between you and somebody else. And so because there's a fear or an anxiety that it wouldn't be accepted or that they would assume that you're this kind of person, a bigot, intolerant, all the things that we call it. You don't, you're, you're fearful to share who you are and what you believe. The fourth, which I think is the worst, is apathy. You don't care. And I put temporal or eternal because the reality is, is that you may not care eternally, which we're going to talk about today, but you don't even care right now. You don't even care with your family and friends right now what they believe because you, you struggle to see the difference that it would make in their life. So last week we just sort of said, hey, do any of these ring true? Are you a secret Christian? Because that's not what, in terms of the story of God, that's not what God had planned for you and me. Right? There's a thread, if you will, a story of God that where he created what was needed, which was the light to create in this world. And then he, he delivered what was promised through Jesus Christ to, to bring mankind back to himself and to bring salvation to this world. He brought light and life. And then Jesus himself in Matthew, the theme verse, Matthew 5, 14, he said, no, you're the light of the world. And that was God's plan through Jesus to say, here's how we're going to provide hope 
absolute hope to this world is through us being salt and light. That's us, not USA. Everybody see me? It's not a country thing. It's us. How are we going to provide absolute hope to this world? Through us. That was Jesus' plan, to be salt and light. And he says, but sometimes salt loses its flavor and gets thrown out because it's worthless. And light, people sometimes will hide under a basket, although that's ridiculous because no one does that. You're supposed to put a light up on the stand so it brings light to everyone in the home. And then we talked about the struggle last week. We ended talking about the struggle of sometimes we have fallen victim of the same cultural relative truth that is so rampant in this humanistic culture that what I feel is right and therefore true. What I feel is right is therefore true, and Christians have sort of been making it their job to be right. That, you know, God gave us his word, he gave us his truth, and the goal of that was so that we would be right. And we argue with other people. And if we engage, because we believe they're the enemy, we argue the truth with them. And the idea is that, well, I have truth, so therefore I'm right. And the only way to kind of be in this culture, even though it's, it's a little bit more of the cancel culture, it's a little bit more dangerous to do so. But if I have to, I'll take what feels right in terms of what I've read, therefore true, because it's the Bible. So I have a few verses memorized, and I have a few verses that I can pull out of my back pocket if I need to. And yet Christians are falling victim, as many people in our culture, that the need to be right is above all else. And I don't want you to confuse right with the truth. Because Jesus was pretty clear. He was, there was no one more right than Jesus. That the job was to be salt and to be life, which is to take this truth and allow it to transform our lives. To be salt and light to this world. You know, there's a phrase that I grew up with. I don't know if you, and you can repeat it after me if, you've, if you grew up with this as well. It's a Christian phrase. That Christians are supposed to be, Christians are in this world, but we're not supposed to be, say it out loud with me, of this, look at all the good Christians in the room, right? That's a Christian phrase. We're not supposed to be, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. The idea behind that is that we are supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to be reflections or products of the world, but that we are supposed to be reflections and products of God in, right? Because sort of planted in this world. And yet many people, because it's a big theme, kind of a Christian phrase, a lot of people don't know where that comes from in scripture. So today, kind of kicking off where we're going today, I want to read where, where this is actually stated by Jesus himself in terms of scripture. This is part of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's before um, the arrest. It's before. It's not really before the betrayal, although the betrayal was happening at the time with Judas. But it's before the arrest. It's before, you know, the trials and the the midnight trials and the the crucifixion and and all that before his death and resurrection. So this is the Garden prayer, and he's praying to God first and foremost. He was praying for his situation. He was praying to God. It was personal. But then you see, in terms of how it's recorded, you see this prayer kind of talking about us. Jesus is actually praying for us, not just his disciples, but for all of those who follow him. And here's what he says. This is in John 17. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world. This is clear what Jesus is saying as he prays to his father. 
I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. He goes on to say, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. They don't belong here any more than than I belong here. Make them holy by, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, okay, we're going to emphasize both words. Ready? Make them holy by what? Your truth. Teach them, what's the two words? Your word, which is truth. And he goes on to say, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus is trying to make it as clear as he can in this prayer, the prayer for us that involves us, that I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, okay? The darkness, I'm not asking you to take them out of the bad circumstances. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not asking you to take them out of the brokenness because he said, no, you're the salt and you're the light that's supposed to shine, in this world. So I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I do want you to protect them from the actual enemy, from the evil one. And he says, you know, they're not part of it. They don't belong here. Again, that goes back to the, we're not products of, we're not supposed to be reflections of this world. And he says, but they're going to be set apart. That's what holy means. They're going to be set apart by your truth, right? Your word, which is truth. That's, That's what's going to set them apart. Not my truth, and I'm not going to harp on this too long, but again, in our relativistic culture, you know, this idea of well, what I feel is right, therefore true, there's a whole lot of Christians, hear me, Christians getting swept up in the my truth culture. Oh, I just got to speak my truth. I just got to live out my truth. That's a bunch of malarkey. Let me hear you say it again, all right? That's a good word. We need to bring that one back, malarkey. That's what it is. Because you're not supposed to be, that doesn't set you apart because you have an opinion or a preference or something that you might have a conviction about. That doesn't actually set you apart. It's just like everybody else. That's the relativistic truth of our culture. No, no, what sets you apart is his truth. His word, which is truth, is supposed to be what sets you and I apart. So don't get caught up in this culture of like, well, I just got to speak my truth. I just got to live my truth. No. And, and he goes on to say, look, I'm sending them into the world. Like, like I'm not going to ask you to pull them out. And, that's, and listen, just that, I'm not picking on anybody today, but, you know, some of us have those family members. Some of us are the, ourselves guilty of sort of like this full-on, like, you know, come Jesus now, right? Like just escapist mentality, okay? And all of us to some degree have felt it in 2020, right? I mean, Sean Connery died. I don't remember where it is in Revelation, but that's got to be a sign, right? <laughs> and we're all in this 2020 world going, I don't want to face 2021. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. And yet that's really not supposed to be our attitude. That's not really supposed to be what we're called to do. Jesus wasn't like, just take them all out as quickly as you can. No, no, he said, I'm, I've got them here for a reason, for a purpose. And what is that purpose? That's what we're going to spend time today in. Well, the phrase that we've used before is that we believe everyone will spend eternity somewhere. We believe that, that journey. We, we believe in Scripture being his truth, and we believe that when we read it and we understand it, that there's a, there's a, there's a reality to this statement, that everyone in this room, outside of this room, in your family and your friends, 
Everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And it's interesting in terms of our culture, even in the Christian church, how, how people sort of view this and how they understand this. Uh, this, is a, this is from 2012. Again, this is, is the latest I could find. All right. This is a study from 2012 of how many Christians, hear the words, Christians, not evangelicals, but just Christians across the board, how many believe in hell? About three quarters, 74%. Actually believe that there's a, a literal hell, right? How many believe that if you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell? 40%, less than half. Meaning that there's some, there's some disconnect in terms of, well, why would someone go to hell? Less than half think it's according to what scripture says in terms of your faith, who you put your trust in, your salvation. They don't really believe that's part of the equation. Now, I don't know if to take this good or bad, but how many actually believe they're going to hell? Well, it's a half a percent. A half a percent actually believe that they and if they're a Christian, then I hope that's true, right? But do you see the, the, the sort of the degradation of the, of the percentages here, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a literal hell. No, nah, I don't know if that's, uh, if they're not a Christian, I don't, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going there. Who's going to hell? I'm not, I'm not going to hell, right? Now, part of this, because we have a kind of, again, a cultural default that's sort of heaven's the default. You know, with me? Heaven's sort of the default for everybody. Unless you're just a murderer or, you know, you know, rapist or, you know, pedophile. Like, unless you just deserve it, like, you're not going to go to hell. Like, heaven's sort of the default. And every religion of the world sort of takes that default idea and then sets parameters around whether you deserve to go to heaven or not. Or what actually makes you go to hell. Does that make sense? So that's, that's, that's what religion is built on. And so we, we don't want to just look at cultural per, you know, percentages or perspectives. We want to go to what the Word of God says. Again, we want to be marked by His truth. And so here's just what Jesus said. I'm just going to read a couple verses. We're not going to do a deep dive in this today. But Jesus said this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, not just a song, by the way, that came from this, right? The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. And he goes on to say, but the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult. It's not easy, and only a few ever find it. Only a few ever find it. Let's go ahead and go to the next set of verses. This is how Paul was teaching the church uh, in Corinth. He said, Yes, we, he's talking to the church, we're fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, 2020, than, and then we'll be home with the Lord, right? Like that's the, that's the plea. He says, but we must all stand, because he knew who the audience was. It was more than just the Christians that were going to read this. And he says, we are going to all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in this earthly body. There are eternal destinations. There are eternal consequences. And eternity is at stake. As Jesus describes two paths, 
And as Paul is, you know, trying try to help the church, but also knowing there's, that people are going to be reading this, like, there's a judgment coming. There's accountability coming. And there's someone who's going to judge you. Now, just understand, this is why the majority of our culture, you're going to lose them right away in a conversation about eternity and in line, in line with his word. Why? Because none of this feels right. Everybody with me? None of this feels right. Okay? It doesn't feel right. If we believe heaven is the default, then the road, the highway to heaven is the wide one, and hell is the narrow one that only a few really bad, awful people are going to go to. So we don't even believe what Jesus says. And, and, and the other part of that is that, you know, what doesn't feel right and can't be true is that someone else is going to judge me. Now, we're okay with judging others. That's, that's fine. But the idea that someone else is going to determine what I deserve that someone else is going to judge and what path I'm on. Like, we lose everybody. We lose a lot of Christians who don't really believe the word of God because it doesn't feel right and therefore can't be true. And yet here we live in this world called to be salt and light, called to be here in the world, that God was sent Jesus as with this mission and this plan, and here comes us now, sent by Jesus to share absolute hope with the world, to bring that out by being salt and light, because the truth of the word of God. And we have to understand the eternal consequences that come with it. Which puts us, and this is the reason I want to spend time on this this week, it puts us in this sort of duality that most people don't have to live in. But as followers of Christ, it's necessary. Like in order to be bright, in order to be the light that you're called to be, you have to live in the duality of these two mindsets, right? That the here and now matters. But we also have to live in the fact that eternity matters, and it's not one above the other. Everybody with me? It's really not. It's, it's two sides of the same coin for followers of Christ. Okay? The here and now matters because how we think about eternity is going to really determine how we live in the here and now. And Jesus has made it clear, and Paul's made it clear, that what we do in terms of our mission in the here and now does have eternal consequences. It does have an eternal destination. So we have to live in this, in this world, if you will, or this mindset, if you will, that we have an eternal destination and an earthly journey, a temporal journey. That's the here and now. And both matter, right? Like, don't hear me in terms of just so I want to make it clear. Like, like what happens this Tuesday and Wednesday? You hear me say the words, oh, it matters, right? What's happening right now matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And guys, there's a lot of Christians who are going to wake up Wednesday and they're going to, depending on what the mess is and depending on what side they sit on, you know, they're either going to be saved or they're going to be sentenced to a future of fear. And it's going to, that's all they're going to be able to see and that's all that's going to matter in that moment. And the reality is, is that it's just not true. Not in light of eternity. Not with an eternal perspective. This isn't our first presidential election, and Lord willing, it won't be our last one. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it won't be our last one, right? It's not going to be the last time the stakes are this high. It's not going to be the last time that parties are you know, fighting for power. It's not going to be. 
In light of eternity, we have to be able to see that and understand that, that we do not look at Tuesday and Wednesday as something that's going to save us or save our country or sentence our country, especially us. No, we live in both mindsets at the same time. Now, the same is true, and this was true for me even growing up as a kid in kind of the Baptist church, is that, and this is another good church phrase. I'm not even charging you for these. These are good, okay? So these are good, another good church phrase. You can't be so earthly minded that you're, or sorry, so heavenly minded that you're no, what's the words? Earthly good. Oh, good Christians in the room. Right on. You can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. What's that mean? It means that all you have is an eternal perspective. All you are is just gazing at the stars and waiting for Jesus to come and trying to keep you and your family closed and protected. That's part of the reason you're a secret Christian. That all you have in your mindset is what's going what's to come and how it's going to end and you study end times and, you're, and all you're fixed on is sort of the escape of this world and this pain. That you're no earthly good. No one can look to your life for hope right now. And when you do share your faith, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fire escape plan, right? It's a, it's a, you need to make this decision now or you're, you know, so you can go to heaven one day. It's a ticket to be punched. Guys, it can't, it can't work. That's not when he called us to be salt and life. When he called us here, he left us here, understanding there were earth, eternal consequences, right? There's eternal consequences because everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And your being salt and light is supposed to impact that here and now and for eternity. It's both. Both. Here's how Paul, again, says it to the church in, in Corinth. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. This is part of the, part of the eternal mindset that starts now. Right? Your old life is gone. The new life has begun. We believe that the word of God says that you are a new creation in Christ when you surrender your heart to him. And that new creation is going to be eternal. It has an eternal destination but it starts now. And it says all of this is the gift, or it's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Of reconciling people to him, back to God. He goes on to say that, that phrase, back to God. So this is what Jesus said when he says, I, you know, I'm giving you this charge, the great, great commission. I want you to go and make disciples teach them what I've taught you, baptize and make disciples of all nations. You're going to be salt and light to this world. You know, you need to know the eternal things, the the eternal sort of measures and and, and things at stake because the road is wide to the highway to hell. It's narrow. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Everybody with me? Like, like, talk about narrow, yes. Jesus only when he talks about eternity. So here we are called to be salt and light. To be light in this world. We used the light bulb illustration last week just to kind of bring out this picture for you. I'm going to use a little bit of a different picture this week as we talk about why sort of the here and now matters and eternity matters when it comes to how we, how you and I share and shine bright in this world. And I want to give you this illustration of, of fire. 
Now, what you see before you is kind of the contrast, if you will, of a campfire or a bonfire and a flamethrower. Now, I would have loved to have made this a, a, a real-life demonstration, but, you know, Chris and all of them are just against me having fun. That's all it is, right? Something about fire code. I don't know. There's just something about that. So you have to settle for a picture. But I'll be honest with you guys. Like, I've 45. I'm... I'm trying to grew up in the church. Like I've seen a lot of examples, good and bad, when it comes to people living out, shining, trying to shine light. And I've seen both extremes of this in terms of what it should look like. Because the element's the same. Fire is the same. And yet one is inviting. One draws you in. One, one sort of pulls you close to experience the light and the warmth. And one is just destruction. One sort of just scorches the earth and leaves nothing in its wake. And that can be sometimes how people hear this message. They, they hear the idea that here and now matter and eternity matters or they, and they're looking to the word of God, but they're not really letting the truth of the word of God transform them into being salt and light. They just focus on this. And when you're just focused on this with the wrong perspective, you can, you can be living a life that's, that's, that's warm and inviting and bright that invites people in to say, you know what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Or you can use this in a way it was never intended to be used. Another good Christian phrase, turn or burn. You ever heard that one? Right? Turn or burn. I'm using a lot of these today. This is great. It's using the word of God against people. Does that, does that even make sense when I say it out loud? To use the truth of the word of God against people. Kind of forcing them to repent. Or cursing them with hell. Guys, I, I just, I, I've seen it, but man, I struggle with what that means to be light and to shine bright in this world. And again, part of this comes back to this, this drive to be right, this drive to take the word of God and use it in a way that it was never intended to be used. The flamethrower, seriously, the flamethrower, go to the next slide. That looks a lot like us just arguing how others should be living. I don't know if that's ever been a temptation for you in terms of taking your faith seriously and trying to share your faith with others, but there are people that because, again, that, 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 that sneaky thing that comes in from our culture to be right above all else is to take the word of God and to load it up in a weapon and to use it against people to just argue with them how they should be living. How they should be living. It's not that it's not true. Everybody just stick with me for a minute. It's not that it's not true, okay? But when you want to talk about abortion right now, in, in today's age, you want to talk about abortion? And you talk about the reality of it being murder and you talk about the blood of the innocent on people's heads and hands who choose to vote a certain way or who choose to think a certain way or who choose to, to proactively work towards people's causes, and you're trying to use truth 
to, to, to sort of argue with people and debate people so that you can be right. Same thing goes with sexual morality in, in our world in terms of how God views sexual um, uh, impurity and, and, and how he views homosexuals and all the, all the, the, um, the letters and, and, and phrases that go with that, gender neutrality, how God sees that. And it's still truth. Don't get me wrong, it's still truth, but, but it's being wielded and used in such a way that it's cursing others. There's a whole lot of shoulds and oughts and how dare you from Christians who really misunderstand what it means to be light, to be truth, to be salt in people's lives. And, and, and so when I look at this, I just think we've got to be really careful. Okay? Now, I, I understand. I want you to understand the mission that's at stake and the, and the dual nature of, of that it's eternally, it eternally matters and that it here and now matters. But I really want you to understand the purpose behind being marked by his truth, being set apart by his truth. It really was to be this sort of picture of a, of a campfire or a bonfire. It's supposed to be an indisputable personal transformation. That what's being used, if you will, is not just a verse that they don't care about, and not just something to guilt them or shame them into knowing that you're right, but it's supposed to be how it's affecting you. And how it's described and shared as an indisputable personal transformation. Indisputable, why? Because they don't have to agree with you. They don't have to agree with this. They can keep on living their truth. But what they can't argue with is how you have changed. They can't argue with how the, the impact it's made on your life. They can't argue the fact that you have a conviction because of how it has changed you. It's an indisputable, personal transformation. And it doesn't take years of being a follower of Christ for this to happen. My favorite example is the woman at the well. Um, it, that's in John 4, if you want to look it up. But the, you know, Jesus is hanging out of this well outside of Samaria. And the Samaritan comes up, Samaritan woman comes up in the middle of the day, talk, starts talking to Jesus. And Jesus, at some point, you know, gets, something gets mentioned. And Jesus says something about her husband. He said, well, you've, you know, you've had five. And the one you're living with now is not even your husband. Truth. Everybody with me? Jesus was still right. <laughs> But that wasn't the purpose of him saying it. The purpose of him saying it was to draw her in to say, you know, there's, there's water you're looking for and I've got the water that, that will quench the thirst that you have so you will never thirst again. And she engages in an argument with Jesus. Well, how, why do you think this well is so special? You know, why is your well so much more special than this? And Jesus continues to just draw her close and, and, and then she, she still misses it. She's like, you know... Well, which one, you know, it starts to argue that who's right. Are they right because they worship at the temple or are we right because we worship at the mountain? And Jesus is like, look, there's a right answer to the question you have, but that's not what's really going on here. 
What's going on here is that people are going to worship in spirit and truth. And then he reveals to her who he is, the Messiah. That's me. Everybody's going to be worshiping me. And even in that moment, she runs back to the village. Okay, we're not talking about somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years. We're talking about somebody who, who got a glimpse of Jesus and transformed her. Enough to be able to go back to the village and say, you got to come here, this guy. you got to come here. He told me all about my life. He told me there was a way that I, my thirst could be quenched. And people flooded out from the city. Jesus was invited in and many were saved because of her personal transformation. Everybody with me? It's not about being perfect. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about how is this truth changing you? How is this truth changing you? I love this, this set of verses. This is actually part of one of my life verses. It's from uh, 2 Timothy. 1-7 is the verse that I, I quote pretty often, but, it's, but I want you to see the context of how Paul wrote this to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. No, he hasn't. But of power and love and self-discipline or a sound mind, depending on what version you're reading. So read these three words out loud. Never be ashamed. I'm going to say it one more time. Read it out loud me. So what? Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength that God gives you, just be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news, for the sake of the here and now, and for the sake of eternity. God saved us and called us to live this holy life set apart by his truth. He did this not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. To show us his grace. Like, it wasn't because you're all that. Okay? I'm not looking at a room of people. I mean, I'm really impressed with everybody here, but it's not because you're all that. That's not why he saved you. That's not why you received that grace. It's because, and that's not why you're called to be the light because you're so special. No, no. It's because it was his plan from the beginning to display you to this world through grace. It, that was his plan. So you don't need to be fearful. Here's Paul saying, even though I'm in prison, okay? Even though, even though Paul's saying, look, even though there's a cancel culture that's, that's real in this world right now, even though you might get rejected, even though you might, you might have something to worry about in terms of how people treat you at work, don't be fearful. Don't be timid. And never be ashamed of your faith, that personal transformation. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of it because it's causing trouble. You know, that you can see the actual evidence of people persecuting that. Don't, don't be ashamed of that. No, it was, it was God's plan for grace to be on display. And that's kind of where I'll, I'll wound us down, but he really has right now called us to be trophies of eternal grace. He's not called us to be weapons of right now rightness. I made that up. Doesn't that look good? So when I say be light and I say be solved and I say, and I'm challenging you not to be a secret Christian, I want you to understand why. 
Because the here and now matters and eternity matters. It does. But I do not ever want you to fall for what has been some Christian, cultural, sort of the last 30 to 50 years, sort of bad examples of using God's word in a way it was never meant to be used as a weapon. Just so you can feel right, right now. Just so that you can win the argument today. Just so that your candidate can get elected. Just so that your political views and parties can be validated. That's not how it was meant to be used. We were meant to be trophies of grace, to be put on display. Hear this, as I shared last week about the jars of clay, for our brokenness to be seen, to be seen. <laughs> it's, it's, me, it's me holding out the word of truth and saying, you know what, I do believe this about abortion. I do believe it's murder. I do. And you know, I, we haven't experienced that personally We've had friends that have experienced it, but we've experienced, you know, miscarriages. And, 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 and the word of God has kind of spoken to both my wife and I about how God views life. And that affects us. That's personal. That's why we walk with, with, uh, with Love Life Charlotte. That's why we pray for people who, who feel like they have no other choice but to go through abortion. We pray that the church would rise. We pray that Christians would rise and that there would be help and assistance when needed and that God would be light in a dark place. I can look at the word of truth and I can talk to people about homosexuality and, and, and having sex before marriage and all other sorts of you know, sexual impurity and perversion, but it isn't to condemn them. It's for me to say, look, you know, my sexual brokenness is different than yours but it's still there. It's still there. I'm not going to ignore how you feel. I don't want you to fall for the temptation that what you feel is right and therefore true, but I'm not going to use this as a weapon against you. I'm going to use it to say, look, at this is, this is how God deals with me in my brokenness. And it's not because of how awesome I am. It's not because I was able to muscle up and overcome and, and do this. It's because of his grace his eternal grace, this unmerited favor of God in my life that changes me. So I don't have to be ashamed of sharing my brokenness with people because it's not, you know, it's not, I'm not perfect. He's still working on me and he's going to finish what he started because I have an eternal mindset. He's going to finish what he started in my life the author and finisher of my faith. And it really does help me. It helps me. Remember what being light and being salt in this world looks like. Not falling for the temptation to just be a weapon. In that moment, you know that social media moment when you can just zing them. Y'all with me? That social media moment where you can just drop a verse and you can zing them so you can be right now Right. That's not the purpose. It's not why he gave us his word. This is the picture I want you to end with today. See, God has placed people in your life. You have a circle of influence 
in your life. It's where you live, it's where you learn, it's where you work, it's where you play. There's a circle of people's lives that you affect, that you influence, that you're connected to. And you're called to be light, to draw them in. They may not ever agree with what the Word of God says. They might not. They might not ever agree or surrender their life to Him. But when they see your light, when they see that personal transformation, when they see and they experience how, what you say in terms of the flavor of God, that you're just bringing out the beauty of God, the taste and see that God is goodness of God. That, that, that they even for just a moment go, you know, I don't believe it, but I wish it was true. I wish I could feel that way. And just let the Holy Spirit do his work. We call it, around here we talk about our top five, and, and that's where they come from. No, go back. Our top five, that's where they come from in terms of that picture. They come back, they, go, they come from this idea of like, there's people in your life, can you name five of them that you're praying for, that you're investing in, that you're, that you're waiting for an opportunity to, to share hope with them? never knowing if it will come. Five people that, that are far from God that know that you are a Christian, that know that you are one. It goes back to our vision as a church. This is our vision. That because we are the transformed people of God, we want to see our friends' lives changed by the absolute hope that is Jesus. God is not a secret to be kept. We are called to be salt and life. And because we believe that everyone spends eternity somewhere, guys, it matters. It doesn't just matter for eternity. It matters right now what they're experiencing. We want to discount people's feelings. Don't hear me say that. But we want to bring light to it. We want to bring light and hope and salt to them in our task, in our mission, in reconciling people to God. Let's pray together. Father God, I just, I'm thankful that this, um, this challenge even for my heart came up to, to really wonder why. We're, we're, we're experiencing a culture of secret Christians. God, I'm praying that, that even just for us, for those in, the, in our church, for those who call Journey Home, who are watching online, God, that you would be doing a work in us, that we would have a proper perspective in understanding the here and now in light of eternity. But that God, right now, the here and now matter in terms of what's at stake eternally. And that the charge to be salt and light, God, I just pray for all of us that opportunities would be coming, that you've, by your sovereign providence, you've already been at work in people's lives, at work and at homes and family members and questions that are going to come. And I pray, God, that, that, the, that, that we, by the power of your spirit, by the strength that you give us, 
We would rise up to those occasions. We would, we would speak truth, not in a way to curse or to condemn, but to speak truth about the indisputable transformation of us trusting you with our lives. That's my prayer today, God. That's, that's what I believe you have the power to do in and through your church. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.